Alright guys, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and joining me is the beautiful Jen Comas. Say hello. Hello. So to start us off, to break the ice, do you have any big plans for the weekend? Oh yeah, actually, uh, we are in Portland, Oregon right now. I live in Salt Lake City, Utah, but we're in Portland this weekend for the One Moto Show, which is a hand-built motorcycle show, so super stoked about that. Awesome. You're you're a big fan of motorcycles, right? Oh gosh, huge. Yeah, anything with two wheels, I love it. How did you get into that? Uh, you know, I'm really close to my brother. He's one of my very best friends and he's been into motorcycles, dirt bikes, mountain bikes ever since we were young. As soon as he turned 16, he got into all that stuff. So, he kind of got me into that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Hard, hardcore for sure. <laughs> gosh, so fun. Um, so for the audience, can you just tell them who you are, what you do, and how did you get into this industry? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so my name is Jen Comas, and I got into the industry, um, gosh, so long ago. I started taking group fitness classes. I kind of had this big aha moment when I was about 16 years old. I failed high school gym class uh, two years in a row, and I was just, I really always had my face buried in the books. I put any kind of physical activity or self-care on the back burner, and it kind of all caught up with me. So I decided to kind of make a change, got into group fitness classes, because that's where I think so many women start as we go and we take aerobics classes. So I started taking group fitness classes, and I actually really fell in love with it. I loved the atmosphere and the energy and the camaraderie, and that prompted me to uh, kind of dive deeper into the fitness industry. I ended up becoming a personal trainer, and from personal training, that kind of uh, evolved into competing into figure competitions. Figure competitions led me into powerlifting when I was trying to um, get out of that like really restrictive dieting mentality. So I got into powerlifting, and that is what initially brought me to uh, Molly Galbraith, who's one of my very best friends and a fellow co-founder of Girls Gone Strong. And uh, so we co-founded Girls Gone Strong back in, I want to say it was late 2011. And ever since then, our focus has just been on uh, getting women as healthy and strong as possible to enjoy life and take care of their bodies. That's awesome. By the way, I love everything that you guys are doing at Girls Gone Strong. It's such an amazing website. And for all the people who don't know, you should probably go there right now and check it out. But it's, a, it's amazing, like, I've seen it grow, because I've been probably following Girls Gone Strong since 2011, and you guys just keep added and adding and adding more great content on there. Oh, thanks so much. That means so much to us. Um, we're really, really dedicated to growth and improvement and continuously learning, so we're, we're, definitely, we're definitely doing our best with that. Um, so... Going forward, like, where do you guys want to see Girls Gone Strong going? Um, so we, when we initially put Girls Gone Strong together, it was founded on like this, uh, it was it, the foundation of it was strength. We were trying to get the message out to women, you know, that they can be strong and trying to teach them how to get stronger in a really healthy and fun way. Now things have evolved a lot. And one of our core messages is autonomy. We're really trying to let women know that regardless of what their goal is, it's their body and their business. So if a woman wants to get leaner, great. If she wants to get bigger and more muscular, awesome. If she doesn't have any aesthetic goals at all, that's okay too. So we're really trying to focus on autonomy. We're also going to be diving deeper into 
uh, some of the bigger topics that are on hand right now in this current climate. Um, you know, things like uh, feminism and all kinds of uh, fun stuff that I think isn't typically talked about. So we're trying to cover kind of a broad range of things, you know, while still always covering the basics for us, which are uh, strength training, you know, good quality, smart movement, healthy nutrition, things like that. That's awesome. Like, we just need more information out there like that. Cause like to this day, I think this happened a couple months ago. Like one of my female clients came up to me, um, and she had lunch with one of her girlfriends and her girlfriends were like asking her like what she was doing in the gym. And she's like, Oh, I'm like lifting heavy. I'm finally deadlifting like over a hundred pounds. So I'm super pumped. And they're like, Oh, you shouldn't be lifting heavy. You're going to get really big. And then my <laughs> client came back to me the next day and she was like freaking out. I'm like, no, no, just stop. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. You know, that, that's something we try, we're trying so hard to continually chip away at that myth. Um, I think we've made a lot of headway and I think a lot of women, like you said, you know, like your client is, you know, they're getting into uh, serious strength training and they're really, really stoked on the results. And so we're still trying to dismantle that myth that lifting weights is going to equal like big and bulky or injury, which we hear a lot too. So yeah, that's still definitely out there. Yeah, I think there was like a meme about it where it's like, I don't want to lift heavy weights because I'm going to turn into a bodybuilder is equivalent to like, I'm not going to drive a car because I'll become a NASCAR driver. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's ridiculous. But um, kind of what I wanted to get into is like, what's your like training philosophy for women when it comes to training and also with nutrition? Yeah, definitely. So my philosophy, and I think also with Girls Gone Strong, our philosophy is always the minimum effective dose. I think a lot of people hear minimum effective dose. Um, that was a term that I believe was coined by Tim Ferriss. Basically means that we do just enough to elicit the desired outcome. I think a lot of people hear the minimum effective dose and they think, oh, it doesn't sound exciting. It doesn't sound glamorous, or maybe it's not enough. But I mean, truth be told, like, we don't, we don't necessarily need to do a whole lot more of something that's already working. It's equivalent of paying $50 for a t-shirt when the price tag just says 25 bucks. So we really try to, we want the most optimal, efficient training for women. And also when it comes to nutrition too, because we realize that people have lives to lead. We don't need to be going into the gym for two hours at a time. So we try to uh, strip away all the fluff and really get down to the nitty gritty stuff. The big rocks, we focus on the big rocks, which are basically the things that are going to move the dial the most. So that's kind of our, that's definitely our philosophy when it comes to both training and nutrition is what can we do to move the dial the most in the least amount of time or with the least amount of effort? Yeah, definitely true. Like for me personally, training like moms, especially, I think the biggest struggle is that they always care so much for other people than actually caring enough for themselves so if like their kid had to go somewhere, they would drop their training session or anything like even eating lunch to go do whatever her kid needed to get done. And at the same time, it's like you're trying to teach them like you need balance, like you should kind of be selfish about, you know, your health and getting stronger and everything like that. But it's kind of hard to change their mind because their whole life is like, oh, I got to do this for my kids. I got to do this for my husband. I got to do this and do this and do this. Yeah, we, we see that all of the time. And something that we really work on with the women uh, that we work with that are, that are mothers, because that does seem to be the most common, um, is we try to remind them that their, their exercise and their really sound nutrition, their quality of sleep, all those things are 
great forms of self-care, you know, and if they cannot take the very best care of themselves, they're absolutely not going to be able to fulfill their duties as a mother or a partner or whatever the case may be. So we really try to remind them like, Hey, this isn't about, you know, you being selfish or whatever. It's about you taking the time to take excellent care of yourself. It's, it's just that, that, uh, really important piece of self-care that they've got to have. So what would you like tell, like if you had a brand new client and she was like, say a mother of three, how would you kind of convince her to kind of make fitness a priority in her life? Um, it's, I think that something that we often overlook is that it can be broken down into segments. It doesn't necessarily have to be like 60 minutes or 90 minutes all up front. You know, if they can break it down to maybe 10 minutes, do you have 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes, you know, in the afternoon or at nap time, how can you get it in? And I think it's about really trying to become creative and see how we can uh, make it work around their schedule. Yeah. Cause I find like, even if it's not of a mother, like a workout will always be canceled or like put on the back burner compared to everything else in life. And I'm this year, especially I've been like really trying to hammer with my clients, like making fitness a priority. Like even if you have to wake up earlier and just do it first thing in the morning, at least it's done. Cause during the evening, if something comes up, like the last thing you're going to think about is like, Oh no, I got to go to the gym. <laughs> Yeah, so true. We really like to encourage people to schedule their workouts, treat it just as importantly as you would any other type of meeting or appointment. Because I mean, truthfully, it really is. It really is that important. You know, I mean, it's, it's our bodies and exercise is so incredibly important for our quality of life. So yeah, we like to see people, um, kind of, you know, lock it into a schedule, not something that's just, you know, unfallible, but something that they treat it as a very important appointment. Oh, definitely. So do you primarily just do online training with clients? Yeah, I, I personal trained clients like crazy for several years and then slowly started to shift things into the online space. So now I am solely online. So how do you kind of like motivate, for example, a client over the computer rather than being like face to face? That, that part is definitely really challenging. <laughs> yeah. um, Gosh, there are some really great, uh, great things about training people online. And then there are some other parts that are a little bit challenging. And that is something that I feel is a little bit more challenging. It's so much easier to have someone in person face to face and have, you know, this really great, um, intimate conversation with them and see how they're feeling when it's online. I think oftentimes the thing that I try to do rather than, um, externally motivate them is ask them some questions to, uh, spark some introspection and get them to kind of dig deep and figure out why they're doing this, why it's important to them. And usually most people, if they, if they dig inside and kind of start to ask themselves some questions and really give them some thought that will end up unsurfacing the whole why behind why they're exercising anyways. And that tends to help them move forward in terms of motivation. Yeah. I was just listening to a podcast with uh, coach Stevo from habitry.com, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was saying, like, he'll ask his clients, um, like, who's the person they admire and want to be like? And then they'll name the person. And then he'll ask them, you know, what kind of traits do they have? Like, what do you think they do on a daily basis? And then his client will start thinking, like, oh, they're probably really dedicated. They're probably really, like, disciplined. And he's like, well, what can we do to make you like that? And then you kind of, like, peel back layers and you keep going and figuring out what you need to do. And I thought that was kind of interesting how he did that. Yeah, that is. I like that approach. 
Um, so with like most clients, like my biggest struggle with getting people healthier is that they always have like that small burst of like motivation in the beginning when they start and then they seem to kind of like teeter off and kind of just go through the motions and you can almost tell because it's like one they'll start missing sessions or they won't email you back right away so how do you kind of keep that motivation going for all these women online that you train Uh, so we really focus on a high level of accountability and encouraging them and reminding them that they've got to take just radical responsibility for their behaviors and the subsequent outcomes. Um, we try to stay in touch as closely as we can with our ladies and just constantly nudge them, you know, cause we know that the squeaky wheel gets the grease and we would rather err on the side of squeaking too much and too often at them, you know, than not enough. And so we, we just really try to keep them engaged in the process, ask them how they're doing. And also, you know, I think it's important too, to remember that our exercise and our uh, motivation to train and all that, it, it kind of ebbs and flows. So based on what we have going on in our lives, you know, it might be okay to have, you know, a week or two where you're a little bit out of your groove. And so when that happens, we remind them like, Hey, this is okay. It's not, um, catastrophic, but you know, know that we're going to, you're going to circle back around and get back into your, your healthy habits and healthy behavior. So just, I think really staying in touch with them, asking them how they're doing, what's going on and asking them when they plan to get back into the swing of things like, Hey, when are you getting, when's your next training session? Let's get it on the books, things like that. So they know that they're not just kind of in like a downward spiral. Nice. Um, so the big kind of thing I've been noticing for a lot of like successful gym owners and people who train online is having kind of like that community of people doing the same thing. So how do you and like Girls Gone Strong kind of develop a community with all the women that you guys train? Like, do you guys have like a Facebook group or something like that? Yeah, we do. So I handle um, the Strongest You coaching program for Girls Gone Strong, myself and a woman named Amber Tomey. We uh, do the coaching. We write all the curriculum. We do everything for that. And with the Strongest You coaching groups, we have private Facebook groups. So just the women that are in the coaching program have access to these coaching groups. And it's really awesome because they build up that sense of community and connectivity. So I think that's so incredibly crucial. It's like their little tribe, you know, so they can, they share their successes, they share their struggles. And every single time someone shares a struggle, there's always women in the group that jump in and say, Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you said this because me too. And that is just so helpful and so powerful for them. Um, as for like girls gone strong, if they're, if you're not a part of the strongest you coaching community, we do have a Facebook uh, page, which is uh, swole you We've got that. Nice. And so, uh, yeah, it's actually an acronym for strong women lift each other up. Oh, so, nice. uh, yeah. So we've got swole you. Um, so that's open to women in the girls gone strong community. Again, it's a private Facebook group, you know, so, and that's been, it's amazing. I mean, I'll go in there and read some of the posts and the feedback and the support these women give each other is just absolutely incredible. And that type of support and, uh, communication and connectivity, it, it really just permeates throughout the entire girls gone strong platform at our events like that's the type of vibe that's always given off super friendly super warm really inviting and so that's it's something that's so incredibly important to us because we know how beneficial it is for people yeah i love that like the moment i because 
I can't remember how long ago it was, but the moment I switched from private training sessions to like semi-private, there was like this big shift in like almost like the atmosphere of the client's training because having like two or three other people at the same time, they got to know each other. They're going through the same thing of like, I want to get stronger. I want to lose weight, things like that. And they start chatting with each other and that community just builds so strong because I, I felt like when a client kind of hires a personal trainer, it's one-on-one, they look at you like this perfect person that's figured everything out and you're like super lean and like you have a six pack probably and this person can't relate. But the moment you have like other people going through the same thing, they're like, Oh, I can do this thing. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I mean, everything's easier with a buddy, you know, everything is. And, and especially like all people, we all want to just be understood. We want to feel like we're understood. We want to feel like our stuff resonates with other people. So that's such a huge benefit of like, you know, the, small training groups or, you know, even just like a two on one client to trainer type of thing. Yeah. I, I really like the idea of like Facebook groups. Cause if you're a part of one and if you're like most people, you're probably on your phone 99% of the time of the day, like you get that like little red notification and like, you can't not look at it. You have to click it and check who commented or who posted a picture. And then it just goes from there. It's like a domino effect. Yeah, it's great. And it's so great too, for accountability, you know, everyone talks about, you know, their training or they're sharing recipes and it's just, it's so great. That, that type of thing I feel like keeps uh, a healthy lifestyle at the forefront of a person's mind, you know, because now they're developing friends, it's becoming part of their lifestyle. And it's just such an easier integration when you have that strong sense of community. Now, looking in the future, do you think we will see in our industry more online training and less in-person training, or is it kind of just going to be half and half like right now? I think it's going to, I think it'll very much stay the same as it is right now. Lots of online training, but also lots of face-to-face training. There are just tons of benefits with the face-to-face training that you just can't provide online, no matter how great the coach is. Some people really just need that uh, in-person, face-to-face time. And that's great. I totally understand that. You know, So I think it just ultimately boils down to you know a person, what's best for their lifestyle. But yeah, I think it'll be about the same. Okay. So let's uh, chat about body image because I I think a lot of women struggle with that. And especially if, um, like, I used to work out, not work out, uh, train at a big box gym where bodybuilding and figure competitions were, like, the big thing. And I remember training, like, a handful of women prepping for these competitions. And the amount of emotions (laughs) that would come out of these ladies, like, throughout their training and like right before the competition saying that they're not lean enough, their shoulders are not defined enough and they're just like a mess. So how do you one overcome any kind of body image issue if you can? And how do you get a woman from A to Z in that realm? Body image issues are a really, really hot topic, and I love that there's been such a bright light shined down onto this because it's something that we need to address. I think so many women and also so many men struggle with body image issues, um, and, and it's tough. I think the first thing that I encourage people to do is be really, really selective of their inputs, and what I mean by that is I've noticed that you know if you've got a woman that's really struggling with body image issues, she has a tendency to follow certain types 
types of accounts, say on Instagram, or she's reading certain magazines that depict like these perfect bodies, or it's kind of, it's, it's setting like the bar so high, you know, that it feels really, really defeating to that person. So my first bit of encouragement to them would be really selective of their inputs. If they're following Instagram accounts that don't serve them, that, you know, that, that are kind of bringing them down, stop following those accounts. Don't read the magazines that are making you feel bad or less than. Um, so that's first and foremost. And, and that also goes for like gym environments too. I trained in Las Vegas at the Las Vegas athletic clubs for a long time. And there are some really, really amazing, beautiful physiques walking around there. And, you know, perhaps a person that's just getting started on their fitness journey who is struggling with body image issues, that might not be the best environment for them. Um, they might be better off trying to uh, start their fitness journey at a small gym or like a private gym so that they, they're not, they're not faced with all that all the time. So selective of your inputs, I think is the first thing. Um, and then the next thing is trying to neutralize negativity. This is something that my really good friend and colleague and just all amount all around amazing woman, Aaron Brown always talks about when it comes to body image, it's, it's really tough to like, if you feel really down about, you know, how your stomach looks, it's, it's almost ridiculous to tell that person like, Oh, just tell yourself every day that you love your belly. Like that's way too big of a jump. We have to have something in the middle. And for that, Aaron talks about neutralizing that. So, you know, if you look in the mirror often and look at your stomach and you think, Oh, I hate my stomach. Maybe that day you can just say, well, it's Tuesday at, you know, 1122. And this is what my stomach looks like. So trying to just start to neutralize those thoughts, acknowledge that you're having a negative thought, and then work on neutralizing it, rather than making that big unrealistic jump to trying to cover it up with positive thinking, because that that just usually feels um, completely not feasible to most people. Um, you know, and then the last thing is to just really focus on like what your bodies can do. This is a huge part of my message is getting people to find things that they love to do that don't have anything to do with diet or exercise or body change. You know, and you can still do all those things. You can still continually do all those things and work on them. But what can you also do in the meantime to focus on, you know, having fun and feeling good, what your body is capable of doing rather than how it looks? Yeah, like you can really fall into the trap of following like every fitness model you can think of on Instagram and then you think it's like, Oh, this is going to be motivating for me. But all it does, it makes you feel like crap about yourself. And you're like, Oh, why am I eating like this? Yeah. Yep. I see that happen all of the time. So I think people really have to be careful. Like, is that actually motivating you or is it more detrimental than it is helpful? And like those people that have those Instagram accounts that, just post like shirtless selfies every single day. I'm like, who, who are you really helping other than yourself? Absolutely. Yep. And the answer to that is nobody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like that's why like over the years, like it, it's easier to sell obviously online. If you like get super ripped and take photos of yourself and people are going to flock to your Instagram account and just start following you. Cause they think you're like, you figured everything out, but at the same time, you kind of want to be like genuine, like I don't look like this all the time. Yeah, definitely. Yep. And, and, you know, those, those accounts, I think they're probably great for some people. Some people probably really love to follow them, but I've just really noticed that the women and men too, that are struggling with like body image stuff like that, those types of accounts are just largely unhelpful for where that person is at in their journey at that time. 
Yeah, they should just follow like Instagram accounts of cats and dogs, and you'll be good to go. Right? Yeah, happy things. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Um, where was I going to go with this? Um, totally blanking. But what I was going to say, um, I remember like with training women, especially like small things can trigger like unbelievable things. So here's an example. This this is why I don't weigh in women anymore when I do an assessment with them. (laughs) I had one woman that worked with me probably close to a year and she dropped like three dress sizes. Like that's huge. Wow. And she's like, Oh, I want to get weighed in. I'm like, "Ah, I don't think it'd be a good idea. She's like, no, 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 it's okay. Like I can handle it. So she weighed in and she was actually three pounds heavier than what she was, but with all the <laughs> muscle mass that she gained and she looked amazing, she could do chin-ups, she can like deadlift close to 200 pounds. She was like an amazing athlete yeah. and she just like broke down because it was three pounds heavier than before. But I'm like, you physically changed to a different person. Like you are amazing, but she just couldn't get that out of her head. So ever since then, I'm like, nope, never again, never on the scale. Yeah, the scale is such a tricky, sneaky little thing. And, you know, kind of just, I mean, just like the story that you just shared, it's, it's just the scale is not a good indicator of progress. It just isn't. There are so many things to take into consideration and take into account. And for whatever reason, I think so many of us, and I absolutely was wrapped up in this for many years. Um, but for so many of us, we put this pie in the sky number out there that we're like, Oh, you know, if I can just, it's like the arrival fallacy. Like if I can just hit whatever this number is, you know, if I can just weigh 155 pounds, then everything will be great. I'll be so happy. But that's never the case. Even when we do have clients that actually end up hitting that number, I've had so many clients tell me, uh-huh. I thought I would feel different, you know, so, and they don't. So it's, it's really, the scale is just, oh man, I just can't emphasize it, emphasize it enough. It's just so incredibly unhelpful. And I think some people can weigh themselves and be very unattached to the number. Um, you know, Molly is a great example of this. She weighs herself and does not care what the number is. Like she's just completely neutral to whatever shows up. Unfortunately, I'm not like that. You know, for years I was wrapped up into that. I would wake up in the morning, step on the scale and whatever number popped up would dictate my mood for that day. I'd either be, you know, walking on cloud nine, or I would just be so far down in the dumps. And one day it kind of, it finally came to a point where I was like, okay, I am so sick and tired of a digital device ruining or making my day. Like I can't give all my power to that device. So I, I chucked it in the garbage and I have not actually weighed myself since I think I want to say it's been since December of like 2013. Wow. Like not one time, even at the doctor's office, I've even told them like, Hey, you know, this happens to be this, this in the past has historically been a triggering thing for me. So I would just prefer not to know the number. And some people have told me like, wow, Jen, that's really extreme. But I think, you know, for some people like, you know, take someone like Molly, that probably is really extreme. But for me, it's what I need to do like for my own mental health. So, you know, if people are really getting wrapped up in the number, I think we just need to like take a break from it and step away from it because it's just, whatever number pops up that it's probably not going to be the number that we want to (laughs) see. Yeah. Like I've always struggled with some women, like the, especially the ones who will like weigh themselves in multiple times during the day. And then I'm like, like, (laughs) you're just making yourself feel worse like every single time. So how would you help someone like that, that weighs themselves like say three or four times in a day? 
Yeah, you know, gosh, because <laughs> I've also done that too. And that, that's tough because we, you know, first of all, I try to remind them, you know, I'll give them an actual list of, hey, here are all the things that are affecting that weight. Like we know, I mean, my weight can fluctuate several pounds, like all of us can fluctuate several pounds from morning weight to evening weight, you know, things like food volume, carbohydrate intake, water intake, hormones, all that great stuff, you know, inflammation, not that all of that is relevant to whatever number pops up. So I try to remind them of all those things and all the ways that that, that number can change. And then I also try to like do a little bit of like negotiating with them. Like, so if you cannot, you know, you're weighing yourself three or four times a day, is there any way that you can just start doing it once a day, you know, and then you get to them to that point and then they, you know, try it like, okay, now how do you feel this? How about going every other day? So we have to kind of slowly back it down. You know, people that are like, oh, I'm weighing myself three times a day. I've seen, uh, you know, some advice out there that's like, oh, just take your scale and throw it in the garbage. That's, that's like, that's way too far down the line for them. You know, we have to start yeah. with up there. I, I try to convince them to, rather than weighing themselves, is measuring their waist and hips, like in oh, centimeters. Because, yeah. like, I don't like inches because, like, you can hit the wrong spot the next day and you're like, oh, I went up two inches. How did that work? Whereas with like centimeters, you can at least like see some progression. You're like, oh yeah, I'm down one centimeter. Like that's awesome. Mm. And that's been pretty successful. <clears throat> but um, yeah, it's, it's a tough one with the scale. Yeah, I, I, I like that approach. That's a good one. Um, I was going to say with body image, have you seen any like bad advice out there in the media world? Um, I feel like anytime someone's trying to kind of address body image, assuming that they're trying to help improve someone's body image, um, I, you know, I, I respect the, the intention behind it. I think it's great. I do think, um, maybe there's like some unhelpful advice, maybe advice that can't just be followed right away. Things like, you know, we talked about earlier, like with the belly, like, Oh, just tell your belly that you love it every day. And it's like, that's great. That sounds awesome in theory, but when it comes down to execution, that might not be the most helpful thing, you know? So I think other than, you know, things that maybe just could be like tweaked upon a little bit to make them a little bit more accessible to women or to men. Um, but otherwise, you know, if someone's, if someone's trying to improve someone else's body image issue, then, you know, kudos to them because I think that's a topic that really needs to be addressed more often. Definitely. Like I find, um, the coaches that say were overweight in the past and then they lost all their weight and that's what made them want to start training people. I kind of feel like they have the advantage because they went through all of that, all those steps to get to where they are. But at the same time, they probably have some sort of like body image issue. Like for me, for an example, like I used to be like the fat kid. Like I used to, I'm 5'9 and I'm still 5'9 since high school, but I used to weigh over 200 pounds. Oh, and I, oh yeah. And then I went all the way down to 140. Like I was like super lean as a bean. And like, since then, like, I always thought like, oh, I'm still fat. Like, it's just a weird thing that like your brain can do that. And I see that with clients too, that say lose all their weight and they look amazing and they still feel like, oh, I, I can lose another 10 pounds. Yeah, absolutely. That there definitely is some, um, a lot of, and I'm sure you understand like a lot of work that's got to go into like the mindset portion of that. You know, I've got 
a client that I work with who I absolutely adore and she was significantly overweight, lost all the weight. I mean, she's just amazing. She's so strong and so fit and just so radiant now and healthy. And she still battles those same body image demons because it's like she lost the weight, but the body image demons came along with her anyways. It's like, it's, you know, it's kind of just a little bit of like body dysmorphia or something going on. So that's, that's a tough issue. It is. And like, I've always tried to get over it, like personally, and I think I'm getting to a point where I just like don't care anymore. <laughs> but it, it, it took, it's taken a while, like from high school until now, like I've always had issues, but at the same time, it's like, you kind of have to accept your body for what it is. Cause it can always change. And I think that's what kind of helped me. Cause like, if I know that I'm going to the gym and I'm prepping good meals, like that means my body will change for the better. And I think that's where a lot of people like they'll look at themselves as like, this is how I'm going to look forever. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. People really do kind of tend to think like, you know, they're how they look right now is like a permanent, permanent fixture. And, and that's just not the case. You know, I mean, that goes kind of, you know, something uh, that we remind people of, like when we're trying to like neutralize their negative self-talk, you know, is to remind themselves like, you know, we can accept how we look right now, but it's not necessarily resignation because it's absolutely going to change, you know? So it's just up to, uh, up to us to change, to affect how it's going to change. Definitely. How do you um, kind of coach like, positive self-talk for your clients? We really try to, we try first to start with talking about the difference between like a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. So, you know, a fixed mindset is basically saying, this is how it is. This is how it's always going to be. Nothing that I do is going to change or affect the outcome. Whereas a growth mindset is saying like, you know, oh, I'm, I, I really love a challenge. I really want to see how I can make changes. I'm excited to see the outcome. So we first start very, very ground level as we start on the differences between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. And then we try to help them cultivate their growth mindset to really lean into that mindset and start exploring those kind of questions like, you know, oh, if I, you know, if I do X, then, you know, Y and Z are, are going to happen. So we start there. And then from there, we start to ask, we start to talk to them about resistance, the different ways resistance is showing up in their lives, you know, kind of those like little demons and trolls that talk to us and say mean things to us in our head. We start to address their resistance. So we kind of, we want to get them in tune with first, like where these negative thoughts are even at. Cause sometimes we have negative thoughts and we don't even really realize it anymore. You know, we're so busy being stimulated by you know, social media and television and all this other stuff that I think oftentimes a lot of people don't even really realize like, wow, I have been so mean to myself. I had a client say that to me just last week. She said, I didn't even realize how mean I've been being to myself. So getting them in touch with that is first and foremost. And then kind of starting to help them lean into that growth mindset. And then from there, it's like neutralizing the negativity and then starting to kind of replace that uh, talk with a little bit more neutral slash positive talk yeah definitely I, I can't remember who said this but when they're coaching their clients and they're you know saying all these negative things about their body their coach will actually start writing it down and then they're like okay I'm going to stop you right there I'm going to read back what you said about yourself and then when you say it out loud to them they're like oh man I'm really mean to myself and it almost like changes their mind and perspective of how they need to communicate with themselves 
Yeah, that's a really interesting approach. Um, and something that I've also, again, I've heard Aaron Brown say is like, if, if she hears someone speaking really negatively about themselves, she'll ask them, you know, she'll say, wow, it sounds like you're being really hard on yourself. Why do you think that is? And that can also start to trigger some really good thinking and, and also just bring some awareness to like, wow, I, I was saying those things about myself out loud. <laughs> Yeah. Um, do you think like the support system at home plays a huge role with this stuff? I really do. I absolutely do. I think there's, it kind of goes back to that sense of having a strong feeling of community and connectedness and, you know, the, the home space is tough because like we, we, we need support, we need some help and we need someone to cheer us on. And, you know, I have, I'm so grateful for the people that I have in my life that are so supportive and are so quick to cheer me on. And I try to reciprocate those things. So yeah, I think that stuff's incredibly important. Yeah. Cause I've chatted with some clients where like, you know, I ask them like what's going on at home and they said like the biggest struggle is like, they're trying to like eat healthy and like cook all these nice dinners for the family. And then their husband will be like eating a whole pizza or like three chocolate bars for dinner. <laughs> Yeah, that's really tough. I hear that a lot too. And I think that that boils down to, man, there's a couple of different like angles on this. Like, first of all, we know that we need the exposure to that kind of food, right? Because we're not going to be able to avoid it forever. But with that being said, I think that there are ways that a partner can go about like eating his like pizza and whatever (laughs) that he normally does without uh, being disrespectful of his partner's uh, goals and eating habits and stuff. So I think when that, you know, when that stuff pops up, I try to encourage my clients like, Hey, it's time to sit down and have a really open, honest conversation. And we, we actually provide our clients kind of like an outline of what it looks like to have a really tough conversation. Um, Elizabeth Dialto, who's awesome. She's like the leader of the wild soul movement tribe. She's got a PDF on, uh, online that you can search for. That's actually, uh, I think it's just courageous conversation and it walks you through the steps of how to have a really difficult conversation like that. So we actually encourage our clients to take that route with it to really just have a sit down heart to heart and, and tell their partner like, Hey, I know you love pizza and eating chocolate every night, but you know, it's affecting me. And here's what I would really love to have from you. Yeah. I think I was talking to another coach about that too. And it's like, you almost have to have like an intervention almost with your family and be like, this is my goal. This is what I want to achieve. Like you don't have to change anything, but I need your support. And if these little things pop up, I'm not going to be successful. Yep. Yep. Absolute total honesty and transparency with that, I think is the best way to go. And just being, and really speaking up, telling people like, Hey, you know, I know you care about me and this is what I could really use from you in order for me to be successful with my goals. Oh, definitely. Um, I think another thing that kind of pops up with like body image issues is also kind of like emotional eating as well. And actually this has happened for the first time with a client where, she pulled me aside and I was like, Oh my God, something's like, something's wrong. And like, she like started bursting out in tears. I'm like, Oh my God, like what's going on. And she wanted to tell me that she like emotional ate last night and like feels terrible about it and doesn't know what to do. And I was like, Holy crap, this is like the first time this has ever happened to me. And I'm like, (laughs) I better not screw this up. Right. But I'm like, I I told her, I'm like, it's amazing that you even told me because most people that emotional eat will never be like, Hey, by the way, I ate like two bags of chips last night and I feel like crap. So 
how would you help someone with like an emotional eating disorder or just a small portion of like, like emotional eating at night? Yeah, this is a topic that comes up a lot. So first of all, I think it's really important to distinguish between, you know, maybe someone is like really stressed out and they ate like, you know, like three cookies or something versus actually having an eating disorder and, and actually truly binging in, in the, the actual sense of the word, you know, a lot of people, we kind of like, I've had so many clients tell me like, Oh, I binged last night. They didn't actually binge. Like they ate like two cookies. And so I think we have to, you know, be really careful. Like what exactly are we dealing with? And there are some uh, quizzes that people can take online that will determine like if they actually have like an eating disorder, like a problem that needs to be addressed by professional versus whether they were just stressed out and kind of indulged in a couple cookies, because that, you know, that's, that's not, that's something that, you know, we can probably help them with. So assuming that it's not an actual eating disorder or a problem that needs to be addressed by a professional, um, what I typically encourage our clients to do is, um, if, if someone is emotional eating, I think it's usually an indicator that they've got a lot of emotions that are bottled up. They don't have an outlet for those things. So we ask our ladies, um, and of course this applies to men too, but to really start, uh, talking about their feelings, letting those things out. And even if it's just, I mean, it can be anything. It can be calling a friend and just saying, Hey, do you have 10 minutes? I need to vent and just doing a complete brain dump. Um, you know, I do that all the time and I have great people that are really receptive to that, you know, or if it's journaling, if someone's into journaling, like, can you just journal a stream of consciousness? Like it doesn't even have to be, it doesn't have to make sense to anyone. Sometimes it can just be like, stick figures or, you know, single words or whatever the case is, but they need an outlet to get those emotions out because by keeping them bottled up and trying to suppress them, it's going to manifest in a different way. And for most, you know, for several people, it can be that emotional eating. So I think bottom line there is, you know, are you holding stuff in? Are you trying to like not talk about something that's really bothering you? Because if so, by letting it out, you're going to be able to work through it. I find that usually it's like accompanied by like a lot of stress in their life too. Yeah. Because I've had clients tell me like every night they like to like sit in front of the TV and have like a six pack of beer and a whole bag of chips. And they, at the end of it, they're like, I don't even know what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Stress is, man, stress really just kind of carries over into every aspect of our life, including our, our nutrition choices, you know, and, and alcohol choices in some cases. So, you know, finding like ways to deal with stress. And I think that we've talked about so much, you know, just lately in the industry, like, you know, everyone knows, you know, a bunch of chronic stress is bad for you, but it, like the advice is usually like, Oh, meditate or do yoga. And some people are straight up like, I hate yoga and meditation is something that I just can't stand. So if that's the case, I think we need to find different outlets. Like, could it be taking a solo hike or going for leisurely walks or, you know, watching your favorite funny movie or whatever it is, it doesn't matter as long as it's bringing stress levels down. So I think that's a hugely, hugely important to address when it comes to, um, trying to change, you know, behaviors like, you know, eating bags of chips every night to kind of to try to decompress. How can we uh, substitute in a different, healthier behavior rather than the chips and a beer or whatever? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, stress is such an ugly thing because I've seen clients where, like, say, work gets super busy and they're working 14-hour days 
and then they even stop like responding to your emails. They disappear for a month and then they come back and they're like, yeah, my life is just a shit. Uh. <laughs> but like, it, it, it's hard because like, I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of people fail trying to eat healthy is because they fall into those bad habits and it just becomes automatic and that's what they're used to and they're just kind of stuck in that hamster wheel yep yeah if i could figure out a way to uh sell hard work and for a very long time i'll probably be very wealthy (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely because like that's the other tough thing with our like industry is that with our world today like everything is so fast like you can go on Amazon and get something within 24 hours but then when it comes to like your health it's like well in a year you'll be amazing but right now it's not going to happen within 24 hours. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a, that's a tough that can be really that can be a tough one for some people for sure. Um do you have like have you change your mind in the last few years about how to train women and how to communicate with them at all? Hmm. Man, that's a good question. Cause like in our industry, like things change so much and like some coaches will like stick to their guns. Like, no, this is, this is how to do it. But then if something better comes along, like it can almost change your whole perspective and you're like, wow, I can't believe I was doing that last year. Yeah, totally. I think, um, for me, a lot of that lies in the nutritional realm. Um, for, but with training, I think my training has been, I don't, I'm trying to think if there's anything that I could be overlooking, but I don't really think anything uh, too crazy has happened there. I mean, if anything, I may have in the past erred a little bit too much on the side of, you know, cardio is ridiculous <laughs> because we know that that's not true. Cardio is not ridiculous. There's totally a time and a place for it. Um, you know, so I think maybe in an effort to try to get people uh, into strength training, I erred too far on the like the side of strength without giving enough attention to the importance of cardio. But other than that, I, I think it's been pretty, very, very similar. It stayed pretty similar, just like the big, you know, strong foundational movements. And, you know, and, and also I think maybe one thing that has changed is realizing that some people just don't like to squat and deadlift. And that's okay. They can still strength train without, you know, squatting and deadlifting big numbers. So, yeah, like over the years, like training women, the one thing that happens, like obviously when they put some muscle mass on, and they look better, but they're like, oh, but my jeans are not fitting around my thighs and like my shirts are tight around my shoulders. And I kind of like explain to them like, well, that's what kind of happens because like clothing's not made for fit people. It's for like the stick figures you see on runways. Right. So it like even for me, like I tell them like a personal story where like if I have to go buy a pair of jeans, I need to go up two waist sizes for my damn thighs to fit in. Mm-hmm. And then they feel kind of better. And then lately with like Ben Bruno training all these like Victoria's Secret models and then yep. I was talking to Lou Schuler about it and apparently like he doesn't do really any upper body work because if they get too muscular up top, like they're not going to have the best modeling career, but with the legs and everything else, like he goes hardcore because like having a bigger butt in their industry is like the best thing ever. Right. And then I had like a couple client, female clients saying like, oh, I really hated that my like favorite shirt I can't fit in because now my like upper body's too big and I'm like maybe there's something there like maybe with women we shouldn't do that much upper body work and just like focus on the legs but it's just like a thought I've been thinking about just because with some women like they understand that by getting stronger you have more muscle mass but at the same time they want to wear all their favorite clothes 
Yeah. And I think that definitely, um, kind of circles back to, you know, whatever a woman wants to do with her body is totally cool. And it's totally her business. You know, I mean, I personally, like I, I like being developed. I like being muscular. I like looking really athletic. You know, that's, that's the way I'm comfortable. And I kind of like it, you know, like if I put something on, like, and I'm like, Ooh, this is tighter on my lats. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like my pull up game and like rowing is pretty strong right now, which is cool. You know, but I also totally respect the fact that some women aren't interested in that. My sister-in-law is a great example of this. Um, my brother's wife, she's just so great. And like, she told me, she's like, you know, I just don't really want to like be muscular and like, cool. Awesome. You know, she still works out, she still trains and that's great. So I think, um, it's really important to listen to what these women and our clients are telling us. Like if they say like, you know, Hey, muscular shoulders and big laps on a, on a woman. Great. But it's not for me. I think that we as a coach have a responsibility to be like, cool. I totally respect what you want to do with your body. Like, let's make that work for you. I think oftentimes, at least what I've seen in this industry is if we hear of a woman that says, Oh, you know, muscular shoulders and a big thick backs, not for me. It's easy for us to like, tell her all the reasons it should be for her. <laughs> and I, yeah. I think that's doing a huge disservice. I think that we need to respect where they're coming from. And then it's our job as a coach, a great coach to alter the training to, you know, give them what they want. Oh, definitely. I, I always find it like amazing how with a female client, they don't really know how strong they can get. Yeah. And then when they do their like first chin up, they're like, Holy shit, I can't believe I did that. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you did. And yep. actually, uh, I can't remember if I told it on my podcast or to another client, but I had one client, she was at a playground with her kids and her husband, and the husband challenged his wife to a chin-up contest, and he pulled out just one, <laughs> and oh. she did six, and I was like, hell oh, wow. yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's great, yeah, that's that's legit right there. But that's the thing, like, you, they get so much more, like, self-confidence that they can, like, lift heavy and do chin-ups, I'm like that's where you need to go. Like, like it, it's almost, it's just amazing to see that transformation. Cause then they get so confident in a gym. Whereas like day one, they don't want to say anyone say anything to anyone or like get in someone's way. And then when they get strong, they like own the gym. It's so true. You know, for people that get involved, like in strength training or, you know, like that thing where they nail their first pull up, like it boosts their confidence, like no other. And that type of confidence and empowerment can really just spill over and carry over into every other aspect of that person's life. You know, I know that was the case for me. And like, when you do something like that first pull up that you never thought you'd be able to do, and you just blow your own damn mind, then you're like, Oh my gosh, well, what else am I capable of? So that's such a great benefit of strength training or really any type of like athletic endeavor oh definitely um so last thing i wanted to touch on it was like hormones for women and does that have anything to do with like say training phases like depending on where you are in your cycle like does that affect anything yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I get a lot of women that come to me and they, they feel it's really interesting. They feel really bad and they're kind of like apologetic, like, Hey, you know, my period's next week and gosh, I'm so sorry, but I'm just so tired. I've got to skip my training or back it down this week. First of all, I think that we need to, it's really important to remind women that that's okay. You know, if they feel like crap a week before their period, it's not imagined, you know, it really is a thing. And we need to, we have a responsibility to adjust their training and 
in a way that makes it accessible for them during that time. You know, some women are are totally fine a week before their period, but for others, it does affect them a little bit more. For my ladies, I often, st- I still encourage them to keep moving, you know, to, you know, if they can't get in for their training session, still go for a walk or can you do your training session and cut the volume in half, use lower weights. So definitely give them options and respect that this is not imagined. It's not in their head. Like we actually, most of us do really get super tired before our period. So (laughs) I think that's really important to take into consideration. Another one of the hormonal aspects that I think that we need to be aware of is cortisol. You know, cortisol is kind of like the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde of hormones. You know, it starts off higher in the morning, tapers off as, or no, I shouldn't say tapers off, but it decreases as the day goes on. Um, Certain things spike our cortisol. You know, if if we have really high levels of chronic stress, cortisol rhythm can get really wonky. We don't want that. Um, Other things that can affect our cortisol are things like caffeine, any type of stimulants, high intensity training. So for me, if I have a woman that is really stressed out all the time, she's not sleeping well, she's super stressed out. I, I actually prefer she doesn't do any, uh, hit like workouts because we don't want to, chances are her cortisol levels are already high from all the stress and the lack of sleep. So by me having her do high intensity interval training, it's like pouring fuel on an already out of control fire, you know? So I think there's this mindset out there that is like, Oh, we'll just push through it and suck it up. And that's actually not the case at all. I don't think that's the best approach. You know, if, um, if stress is already high, we need to be careful about how they're training, you know, they can still strength train, but we just don't need to go in and absolutely beat them down because cortisol is already high. And if you've ever seen, um, a saliva panel that's done, um, for, to see someone's cortisol rhythm, you can see a huge spike in cortisol around their training time, you know, so our bodies, bottom line here is our bodies treat high intensity training as a form of stress. And in most people, like if you have healthy stress levels, that's fine. But in people with an elevated chronic level of chronic stress, it's, it's not the best thing. And that's how you can like overtrain so easily because a lot of people think like, oh, if I'm working harder in the gym, I'm going to get fitter faster, but you might be just like driving yourself into the ground and you might end up getting sick. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing how like cortisol levels and stress plays into your system because like I've been through it where like, oh, I need to train like seven days a week and then a month in, like my shoulder starts getting really sore and then I pick up a cold and I'm like, oh my God, this was the worst idea ever. (laughs) It's just interesting like how your body can tell you to like, just stop. (laughs) Yep, so true. Yeah, more is not necessarily better, right? Just the whole better is better. I love that saying. Yeah. Uh, So last question for you because we're like almost to an hour. Um, Since there's a lot of people that probably look up to you and I wanted to start this with all my new guests now is what is your morning ritual? Like, what do you do the first 60 minutes when you get up every day? Oh, I love this question so much because I am such a stickler for my morning ritual that it's crazy. Um, so every morning I get up, the first thing I do is get coffee and then I've been into tarot cards lately. So I usually like pour coffee, light candles, pull like a tarot card of the day, do some journaling, and then I do some reading. And that's always, always the way that I start my day, like every single day without fail. Like even when I travel, that's typically the way that I start my day. So I love it. I feel like it just really keeps me 
grounded. It's a way to like ease into my day. I don't do well at all. If I have to just like roll out of the bed and go, it actually just like, I find it very frazzling. (laughs) So yeah, I'm a big stickler on the morning ritual. I find great comfort and peace in it. So for those people who don't know what tarot cards are, like, what do they do? Like, I don't really know that much about it other than they look really cool, like whoever printed them out or drew the art. But uh, like, what do they do? Yeah, so it's so tarot cards. Um, it's basically a deck of cards, and I think there's just like some weird like uh, thoughts around them, like oh, they're like magic cards and all this stuff. They're totally not. What they are is every card has a different meaning and like a different message, and they're totally up for interpretation. So the greatest thing is is that like these cards will tell you all these things about yourself that you may not have realized, but it's all based on your own perspective and your own interpretation. I could pull a card. Um, Um, And then like Nagar, who's also really into tarot cards, she could pull the exact same card. And while both cards will have like the same meaning, they're going to mean something very different to both myself and to Nagar. So it's kind of just a way to, for me, it's a really great way to prompt some thinking, do some introspection. And then it also really helps um, me for like journaling purposes. I like that. It's almost like self-reflection that you have to like think about. Exactly. Yep. Nice. Uh, So one more question. Um, Do you have any new projects coming up, any speaking engagements, books, or anything like that? And when can can people find you online? Yes, I totally do. So first off, the the next thing that's coming up is the Girls Gone Strong annual event, which is our Strength and Empowerment Weekend. That's happening in Seattle, Washington. It's happening um, in April, and I want to say that is April. It's over Easter weekend. So uh, 14th, 15th, and 16th is going to be the dates for that event. We're doing uh, two days of speaking and hands-on stuff, and then we've got a bonus day. Bonus day is sold out, you know, but I think we do have some tickets available for that event. So first and foremost, that's coming up. We're super stoked about that and have an amazing lineup. Um, Later in the year, I have got two products coming out, a workout uh, product and then also a mindset product. So really excited about those. That's awesome. That's going to keep you busy. (laughs) I can't wait. So again, I just want to thank you for all your time. This was amazing. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. All right, so that's going to wrap up episode 34 with Jen Comas. Um, Again, she was amazing. Go check her out online. Um, She's on freaking every social media platform you can think of. Also, make sure to go check out girlsgonestrong.com. And my goal is to actually interview every uh, girl on there because every single one of them has an amazing story and does unbelievable things for women out there, not only in training, but self-esteem, body image, everything. And hope you enjoyed it. Again, check out the Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash cut the shit get fit. I would love the support to keep giving you guys great content week in and week out. And until next time.